so glad to see you this morning. My name is Josh Jones. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater, and um, it's my privilege to greet you here this morning. I recognize many of you have been here before. Um, I primarily serve these days out of Montrose campus, um, but really, really relish my opportunities to come around to uh, the other Bridgewater locations. I'm excited to be here today because today's a big day. Today's an exciting day. I first want to let you know that Brett is super disappointed uh, that he is not here today. He's sick. And uh, he regretfully cannot be here. Um, but I'm here to introduce our speaker and also uh, the candidate for campus pastor at this campus. So if you're new today, welcome to a whirlwind. There's a lot of good things going on here. Um, but I just want to, on behalf of our directional leadership team and Bridgewater overseers, let you know that we're very excited to present Aaron Patton to you. Uh, he'll be here preaching today. And uh, we'll be available after service along with a couple of us to interact with you, answer some questions. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing that he's even here. Uh, he worked on Thursday to get, I mean, to get flights out here on Thursday. Nope. Friday. Nope. Yesterday. Still no. So he drove through the night to get here. And, uh, and he's delivering the word of God to us this morning. So um, I think excitement, adrenaline, and seeing all of your faces will be helpful to him. Um, but with any, without any further ado, just want to introduce to you and uh, help me welcome, please, Aaron Patton. Thanks, man. Appreciate you, Josh. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, I don't normally get too nervous teaching God's word, but uh, I don't, you know, I don't know y'all real well, and and you don't know me all, you know, all that well. So if I get a little nervous, I apologize. Like Josh said, my name's Aaron Patton. I've been serving for the last 17 years as a lead pastor of a church called New Story Church in Kansas City, Kansas. And uh, we, my wife and I have had an incredible, you know, blessing of being involved and seeing God change a lot of lives, change a, a dead church into a vibrant church. And we really feel like God is asking us to step in and do something different with this next portion of our lives. And so we're really excited to be able to just to get to know you and connect with you guys. And hopefully uh, God will use us all. And it's going to take all of us. But hopefully God will use all of us to do great things for him and for his kingdom, okay? Um, this week, we are continuing in the series on 1 Corinthians, and Brett did an amazing job last week, I think. He did a great job of teaching us and instructing us in the fact that apart from God's grace, we are all really in trouble. And I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that for yourself before or not, but I know in my own life that's the truth. You know, it's really easy, I think, for people to think that pastors, they, they've never really wrestled with things that maybe other people do, but the reality is we do. And every single one of us in this room needs God's grace. And the talk that we're going to dive into today, the section of scripture that we're going to dive in today is also going to require grace. It's going to require God's grace for each one of us, and it's going to require that we have grace for one another and for other people outside these walls, okay? So I just want to prep you and get you ready for that as we dive in. Um, years ago, there was a TV show that I came across. I didn't watch it a lot, but I thought it was really, really cool. Let me throw a picture up here on the screen. Are you guys familiar with this? Did anybody ever see the show, The, the Biggest Loser? You remember that? Uh, I did a little bit of research into it. I only watched it a few times because my wife and I would hang out with some friends, and they really loved this show. Um, 
But apparently there were 17 seasons that aired here in the United States on NBC of the show The Biggest Loser. And the whole idea was that they would take you know, they would, they would collect a, a group of like 30 to 35 contestants or something like that. People who would come together and say, okay, we're going to work over the next 30 weeks to discipline ourselves, to create some new habits, and see who could essentially, uh, relative to kind of where they were when they came in, lose the largest amount, or not amount, but the, 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 the highest percentage, so to speak, of weight. But the whole thing was really about health. That was, the, that was the real goal. The goal was that at the end of the day, the people who were a part of this show would be able to leave and have like healthy habits and, and be set up for a healthy life. The trouble was there would be temptations along the way. There'd be, there'd be things that would come up, like sometimes the producers would put uh, some, some snacks in front of them that were not going to help them. Sometimes they'd give them a pass where they could, they could skip some of the workouts or they could just choose to skip some of those things. They had to make decisions along the way, right? And if they were going to make those decisions and if they stuck to them, they'd be able to create a pathway to being healthy. And here's the thing. Whenever I watched the show, I was struck with this idea. Health was the goal. And here's why. Because health would produce long-term results. And frankly, it's no different in the church. It's no different in Bridgewater Church. Bridgewater Church needs to be healthy. That's what's going to help us be able to have an impact here in Vestal. Now, I don't, I don't know Vestal very well, and I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know Binghamton very well. I don't, frankly, I don't even know what the other areas around here are yet. But I know if it's anything like Kansas City, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of needs. I have friends all over Kansas City who um, their lives are falling apart, marriages are falling apart. There's, there's a lot of needs. Is that similar here? Which tells me that it's really, really important that Bridgewater Church be a healthy place. A healthy place where God can change lives. Where we can be an outpost of the kingdom of God. And so the, the, the talk that we're going to dive in today is really all about health. And it would be easy for you to get your, get your feet kind of stepped on. But I literally know nothing. And so uh, if, if I say something today that, that you get kind of frustrated with, it's Brett's fault. Um, and you can, you can take that up with him. All right? Because I, I really know, know nothing. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm pretty sure Brett talked about this last week, but the, the Corinthian church in this letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago, the Corinthian church is a lot like Vestal. Do you know that? It really is. It's a lot like Bridgewater, okay? Here's what I mean. There are a lot of different house churches, gatherings in different parts of the city. You can even go to Corinth today. I've been there, and you can see the, the city is fairly, you know, it's, it's kind of destroyed today, but there's, you can still see it was quite large at that time. You could see why there would be pockets of Christian gatherings, and that's the same thing with, with Bridgewater, and, and something started to come up in the church in Corinth that could affect the church 
here in, in you know, northeast Pennsylvania and uh, south central, yep, southern tier of New York. There we go. Thank you, Josh. I'm, I'm learning. I'll try to learn. The same thing could come up here. They started to have a problem of disunity and, and fighting. And that can really stop the work of God quickly. So let's dive in. Let's look at it. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you want to follow along on your phone, that's great. I'll put a bunch of the verses up here. Um, so if you, if, you don't, if, you, like, if you don't even know where this is right now, it's fine. You can look at it and you can, you can see it for yourself. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17 together here in 1 Corinthians 1. In verse 10, Paul, the man who wrote this letter, a man who who spent 18 months in Corinth talking to people about Jesus and and helping to plant a church there, he's writing back to them after he's left, and he says this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. So let's just stop there for a minute. First and foremost, this verse sounds like really pie in the sky. It sounds kind of crazy. Can you imagine even uh, in marriage, a husband and wife being perfectly aligned in mind and in thought? Can you, can you imagine that? that? That is very, very difficult to happen. So what Paul is calling for is, is a big deal, but the beauty of it is, I think the rest of Scripture makes it plain that this can happen when people set their minds on Christ. When people from different backgrounds, with different passions, with, with different convictions, set their mind on Christ, we can be united. We can be. And I think what Paul is calling the church at Corinth to realize is this. He's calling them to realize that unity is healthy. You want to know how we can be healthy? This is one of the steps. You want to know how we can see Vestal, Binghamton, you know, changed? We're going to have to strive for unity. So, he calls us to be focused on the mission and the mind of Christ. He tells us unity is what we need to be striving for, but there's a problem, and it's the same problem that comes up today, because if you've been around the church world, you know that unity isn't always what occurs in churches, right? Sometimes there can be fighting and struggles. Sometimes there can be. You know, sometimes we're really not that different from the rest of the world, if you've paid attention to social media or the news, you've seen that we have a very divided, you know, culture right now. We, we have given in to, uh, you know, fighting over anything and everything. The church is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be different. And I want to be honest with you, that starts with me. It starts with my approach, and, and it it needs to be passed down then throughout the rest of the church. So here's the problem that shows up. The problem in Corinth was that there actually was disunity. In verse 11, look at what it says. It says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. There are actual fights. Now, the problem of there being disagreements isn't the issue. So he doesn't just stop there, okay? There are disagreements. We can disagree. That's the reality. We'll get to that in a minute. 
But the problem was what they were disagreeing about and how they were going about it. Look at verse 12. Here's what they were disagreeing about. What I mean is this. So let me, let me explain. He's saying, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. So if you can just imagine a group of people saying, well, guess what? I think it's important we pay attention to this teacher. Or I think it's important we pay attention to this leader. Or I think it's important we, we, we go this direction. You, you've seen this recently. This shows up so much in politics. I, I mean, I'm not that terribly old, but I'm old enough to remember a good number of presidents now, okay? Some of you would say, well, I liked, you know, President Bush, and you'd have to be like, well, which one, you know? Some would say, I like Bill Clinton. Some would say, I like President Obama. Some would say, I like President Trump. Some would say, I like President Biden. Some of you would say lots of other things that we won't repeat about some of those people, And the trouble is when we bring that into the church where we are united around one thing, the name of Jesus Christ, we're bringing in something that is unhealthy. So Paul says, unity is healthy, but disunity in the church is a cancer. Disunity is unhealthy. Now, I love, I, I, I'm just going to go back and remind you of this, and I, I didn't say this earlier, but in verse 10, if you're looking at your, your own Bible, it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying the, the foundation of all of this is the fact that we are united around Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be different. So look at verse 13. Here's what he says. After explaining to us that disunity is unhealthy, he, he tells us what's at stake Verse 13, is Christ divided? I, th- I think the, the point is supposed to be like, well, no, Christ isn't divided. Or at least he shouldn't be. But sometimes in the church he is, right? Is Christ divided? Well, no, he shouldn't be. Was Paul crucified for you? Certainly not. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, you weren't. I mean, that. That's the thing. Now, all of these people that they were identifying with were other leaders. Apollos was a, apparently a, a, a really good communicator that, that everybody seemed to enjoy, and, and people were attracted to him. Peter was a very like loud and boisterous and, and strong leader, you know. Paul kind of took a different approach. And people were acting as if their allegiances should be to a person instead of the Savior of the world. Now, here's the big deal. I realize in a room like this, there could be people who are really skeptical of Christianity. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're thinking it through for yourself. Can I just tell you, sometimes the church has got it wrong. Sometimes we have got it wrong. And we've acted like personalities are more important than Christ. And I want you to know that's not the case. Christ is what we rally around. So unity is healthy. Disunity is unhealthy. And the reason this is such a big deal, what Paul is saying here, is that the nature of Christ and the gospel are what is at stake. So we should wake up. (laughs) 
We should make a change. Now let me walk through the end of this passage and then we'll, we'll, we'll flesh out you know, what we need to do with this, okay? Verses 14 and 15 and then on say this. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. What, why is he saying this? He's, he's realizing that some of the things that leaders do, people can, can become very attached to leaders and personalities. I, I get that. And sometimes leaders play into that. We want to be loved. Pastors want to be cared for and, 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 and loved and revered. And, and that's part of like human nature, right? But we need to be really, really careful. Because the issue is not me or any other pastor. The issue is Jesus. And Paul is saying, I'm thankful that, that I wasn't, involved in all of these baptisms so that you felt like you were baptized in my name. No, you were baptized in the name of Christ. You're, uh, you're aligned with, you're identifying with Christ. And then he goes on, he says, he, he says this, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Verse 16, he says this, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Now, this is a weird kind of section. It's like Paul is kind of trying to remember you know, and as he's, I, I can identify with this because as I've gotten older, I, I find that there's a lot that I forget. <laughs> Maybe you can identify. But then he ends by saying this, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. What's he saying? He's saying that what's really at stake is the nature of the gospel and the nature of Christ, but also what's really at stake is the power of God to change lives. So if you've been a part or if you consider yourself a part of Bridgewater, okay? And again, I'm, 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 I'm an outsider. They're, they're not asking me to say any of this. I'm just gonna tell you, Plain and simple, if you consider yourself to be a part of Bridgewater Church, you need to understand that striving for unity is imperative. And if we won't do that, we won't be involved in seeing change lives. You understand that? that that's what's going on here. So, let me give you just a couple of like main ideas to latch on to, and then I'll, I'll, I'll walk through some uh, application here, okay? First and foremost, you need to know this. A divided church is an unhealthy church. A church that isn't rallied around the idea of making more and better followers of Jesus, but instead are, are rallied around the idea of making more and better followers of a certain small group leader or a certain you know, ministry leader or a certain pastor or, or a certain personality. A church that's rallied around that is an unhealthy church. Period. And a divided, unhealthy church is a dying church. I don't want to be a part of that, do you? So here's what we need to do. The church must fight for unity. So let me, let me walk you through what unity really is and what it's not, and then we'll wrap up. So what, it, what, is, what, is, 
real unity not? Let's start with that. First and foremost, real unity is not uniformity. Listen, I look at us here today, we don't look the same, and some of you are like, praise God, and I, I get that. Yeah, I know, I'm going bald, that's fine, okay? I'm very gray, <laughs> that's the thing. I'm glad that I married when I was young, you know? That's, uh, I'm thankful for that. Real unity is not uniformity. Even for, even for Paul, he wasn't, you know, he didn't have uniformity with, with all the other leaders that he was surrounded with, Okay? They didn't necessarily agree all of the time. One example of that was with Apollos. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at the end of this letter, Paul, Paul talks about this time where he talked to Apollos and he wanted Apollos to go to Corinth because he couldn't be there and there were some hard things going on and Apollos apparently didn't, uh, didn't agree with him. Look at, look at verse 12. Here's what it says. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Now, they weren't, you know, they weren't divided, but they didn't always agree on everything. You get that? So it's not necessarily uniformity. There's room for there to be differences. Listen, the the church down the street that loves Jesus, but they do it a different way, doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. You get that? The church down the street that is clearly preaching Jesus and seeing people come to know Jesus, but they don't look like us. Or maybe they have, you know, kind of a little different theological neighborhood, so to speak. That's okay. There's room for that. Second, real unity is not avoiding issues. And here's the thing, can I, can I just give you a, a moment of like honesty of something that drew me to Bridgewater? And this is a little more personal. Um, when I started meeting with and talking with the other pastors uh, of Bridgewater, I've, I've been a, a lead pastor of one church uh, and, and kind of, you know, the guy that, that all of the buck kind of stopped with for a long time. So to, to look at entering into, in, into this kind of felt a little strange for me. Um, but one of the things that drew me was that the whole pastoral team and the staff, they started living out this, this mindset of what, what they, I heard them say, it's called the last 10%. Started saying, we want to make sure that whatever's in our minds that we really need to talk about and really need to have conversations about, we're not going to walk away without saying it. That's not saying that you're going to, you know, just attack people, but that's saying they weren't going to avoid issues that they knew were there. And I've seen that a lot in church world. (laughs) And things fester. Maybe you've seen that in your marriage. Maybe you've seen that with friends that you have in the church or other you know, churches. Maybe you've been a part of another church and, and you've seen that and you just avoided the issues and avoided the issues and avoided the issues and it just got bad. That's not what we do. I love how Paul addresses this. In Galatians chapter 2, he talks about a time when Peter who was also known as Cephas, really had a big issue. 
He was doing something wrong, and what did Paul do? He confronted him. Galatians 2, verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he, was used to, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In other words, he was acting one way with one group and another with another. And so Paul confronted him. Third, real unity is not overlooking sin. This church will not be healthy and it will not thrive if we overlook sin. Don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean you get to be Dog the Bounty Hunter and go look for sin in everybody's life. But when it's there, we can't ignore it. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul deals with sin in the church. And, and I love this passage, verse 1 and 2, probably not for the reason you think. Look, look at it. It says this, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And then verse 2, look at this, and you are proud. Do you know why I love this verse? Because he doesn't ignore their pride. Yeah, He's dealing with the thing that we all think that he should probably deal with, the sexual immorality, but he's also dealing with their pride and their unwillingness to confront sin in a brother's life, <laughs> right? We can't overlook sin. So what is real unity? Let me share with you three things. Number one, real unity graciously disagrees it's, it's recognizing that delivery trumps content every time. It's recognizing that maybe what I need to do is ask your permission to have a conversation with you and then give you time to pray about it and think about it and interact with God on your own, not just demanding that you change it and fix it and agree with me right here, right now. Real unity graciously disagrees. I love what happens when we do that. And I think it's, it's, it's summed up uh, very well by a, a quote that I came across this past week. Uh, uh, for, a former pastor, John Piper, said this, I don't think that the world stumbles mainly over doctrin doctrinal disagreements among Christians. It stumbles mainly over the way that we treat each other in light of those disagreements. Right? Graciously disagreeing. Didn't we just talk about grace last week? Didn't Brett just lead us to talk about how much we need grace, but others need grace? Especially in the church. Secondly, real unity divides over essentials, but dialogues over what is important. And here's the thing. Paul lays out what is important. He talks about what's at stake. Jesus Christ, the nature of Jesus Christ, the nature of the gospel, seeing cha lives changed. That is what is at stake. That is what is essential. Right? 
Now, he deals with a lot of other things throughout 1 Corinthians. He deals with spiritual gifts. Boy, people divide over that all the time. He deals with all sorts of conversations throughout 1 Corinthians. He does not ignore those things, but he's modeling for us that we divide over what is essential, right? And we dialogue. We lean in. We keep talking. We keep praying, we keep supporting, we keep cheering each other on over things that aren't essential. Third, real unity walks in humility. And here's what I would urge you, Bridgewater Vestal, here's what I would urge you, listen, don't give in to the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age is tribalism. The spirit of the age is, if you don't agree with me wholeheartedly, you are the enemy. Do not do that. That is not true That's the spirit of the age. And if we do that, we will become unhealthy. And we will be divided. And we will not grow. We will die. And I don't want to be a part of that. So we're going to have to fight for unity. Let me just leave you with a couple final thoughts about why we should fight for unity. The scripture is so clear that Jesus told us we would need to strive for unity, that we would have to fight for it. I I would tell you, we have to fight for unity because Jesus commanded it. Look at at, uh, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. That's the command. You're going to have to love someone who sees things different than you. Those of you who are married in this room, you already know this. You did not see how you brush your teeth the same way as your spouse did when you got married, did you? You did not see how to fold clothing the same, did you? My wife and I, that's the thing. I fold shirts one way, she folds them the right way. Okay? And I'm not throwing her under the bus, I'm just, she does. She's right. The same is true. Like, I've just learned to go, yep, you're right, that's the right way. And there's things that she's done that with me because she loves me, despite me. And you've got to, we've got to learn to look around and go, these are the people that Christ loves and so I love. I'm going to fight for that. Verse 15, look at what else. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Who's he talking about? He is talking about your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. He's talking about your family members. He's talking about the watching world. So not only did Jesus command it, but non-Christians judge us by it. That's why we fight for unity. John Bloom said this. He said, nothing is more offensive, violent, or destructive to the forces of darkness than love. And I would agree. So, Bridgewater Church, let me ask you this. We don't know each other very well. I don't know your stories. I don't know your struggles. You don't know mine. But I know this, that right now you probably need to fight for unity with someone personally. Like there's 
Maybe somebody in this room that you need to take a step towards and stop dividing. I also know that we are a church of churches. And we need to recognize that God is moving amongst Bridgewater Tunkanic. God is moving and working amongst Bridgewater Conklin. God is moving and working amongst Montrose and, and Halstead and I, the online campus. I, I feel like I'm missing something just because I don't know everything. <laughs> but we need to move together for more and better disciples. And finally, we need to cheer on our brothers and sisters in the Big C Church in other churches so that Christ can be honored. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray that we would take steps to move towards one another, that we would unite and not fight. God, I pray that we would strive for unity, that we would recognize that because you being able to change lives and you taking the work of Christ on the cross and, and making it visible and public for the watching world is what's at stake. God, I pray that we would strive to move closer and closer to one another, that we would be patient, that we would persevere in love, that we would continue over and over to extend that grace that, that we talked about last week towards one another and towards the watching world so that your name could be glorified, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.